And as you're seated, if you want to find the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31, and as you're looking for Proverbs 31, I want to tell you that Cheryl Sherwin, who has been our hospitality director for the last four and a half years, she's going to be stepping down from that position. Uh, her and Steve are going to be involved in some other ministries, but she has done such an amazing job of building our teams and making so many people feel welcome. And so if you uh, see Cheryl, would you make sure you just express your appreciation to her? She's done such an amazing job, and we're very grateful for her. And if you are interested in being involved in hospitality ministry or learning more, uh, check with our Associate Pastor George Olmsted. Uh, he can be able to give you more information. So with that, we're turning to Proverbs chapter 31. And I'd like to ask you, how often do you feel like you're just never enough? Okay? Like, life doesn't happen to happen very long where you encounter situations and your roles and responsibilities, whether, like, if you're married, uh, as a spouse, with your friends. I can assure you, if you're a parent, there are going to be a lot of times you're like, I do not have what is needed in the situation. But it also shows up, like, in your job, uh, at school, you may feel like, I, I just never measure up. I, I don't have what it takes. This is really difficult. And I tell you that because this, this kind of feeling, this sense that you're never enough, it's what a lot of women have when they encounter Proverbs chapter 31. Uh, I'm going to give you a woman by the name of Shobana Vetcherville. She works at the Delhi School of Theology in India, and she writes this about Proverbs 31. Since I began growing in faith, I was the classic good girl, eager to do all the right things. In most women's meetings, Proverbs 31 was the key passage of study. But I had a very complicated relationship with this passage. Proverbs 31 was presented as the yardstick to measure all Christian women. It was the standard for being a good, godly woman, which meant being a devoted wife and mother, who was also a domestic goddess, as well as active and enterprising outside the home. I was all set to be this woman and translate this to whatever modern equivalency I could, but as it happened, I turned out to be single, without any children, and very far from being a domestic goddess. It was very difficult for me to relate to this expectation and to this passage. Even for women who are married or married with children, this passage can be intimidating. It feels like a burden that weighs them down with unrealistic expectations and makes them feel less than. You feel that way? A lot of women, when they come to this passage here, they're like, you know, I don't quite measure up. In fact, this, is, this woman is seemingly overwhelming in her perfection. You need to know that even in good marriages, it's not all shiny. It's not all seemingly working out perfectly. And, and so you come and you encounter this, this woman here in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. She is an excellent wife, but if you want to understand what we're to learn from this, you need to see that Proverbs 31, this is the final passage. This is the capstone of the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs 31, this particular woman, is to serve as a personal example of some of the major themes of wisdom that are found and developed throughout the book. That means that both men and women are to learn from her. She is given as a portrait of wisdom, a personal example. And you and I, 
That's one of the very best ways that we learn. I mean, I've seen this throughout my life. I can read, I can learn, I can study. But boy, do I learn from personal example. And I saw this really early on after I became a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus in college. I'm like, what does it look like as a college student walking with Jesus, walking in wisdom? I found examples. And then when I entered into the workforce and the business world, I'm like, what does a Christian business guy look like? And I found examples. I learned from them. What does it look like to be single and dating and then engaged and then like early married? Man, I need some real help here. By finding godly people who manifested his wisdom, either in that stage or had moved a little bit past that, boy, that was a wealth of information for me. And then, of course, being like a young parent, okay, that's one thing. But it is a game changer when they turn into teenagers, right? Then the inadequacies really show up. And I knew that I am going to desperately need godly wisdom. I cannot just revert back to how I was raised. I've got to figure out what does it look like when God's wisdom is coming to play with how we're raising these kids and the decisions that need to be made. And then that happens like, you know, as they get older, they're going to college, uh, they get married. What does it look like to make the most of your second half of life? What does that look like to even be a grandparent with wisdom? Well, all of a sudden you're, you're reading, but you're looking for godly examples. And when you see some, why, you learn from them. And that is the intent of Proverbs chapter 31. God has given us this woman. She's married. She is a wife. And she is meant to demonstrate what does wisdom look like. And both men and women are to learn from her. Now, what we're about to counter, uh, I want you to know, these, this is a lifetime that's being encapsulated here. It's thematic. Uh, it's presenting some of the ideals. And it's not like this all just happened at once. And I want to give you a few considerations before we dive in here. First of all, if you're a married man, you want to look at this passage and think about how could you help create a marriage where your wife could thrive like the woman we're about to meet, this excellent wife. If you're a guy who's looking to be married, I want you to know this passage right here, you want to pay attention because these are the qualities of a future spouse that you want to be looking for. Now the world says, hey, it's all about physical beauty, right? And you just focus on that. I want you to know that that is going to potentially lead you into a lot of trouble. In fact, we'll see. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. You want to look at the heart. Where does she really stand with God? What does that relationship with God really look like? Does she embody wisdom? That's what you want to look at. Look at. And if you are a woman, no matter what your age, I want you to know that you can look at this woman and you could admire her. You can aspire to be like her. You can assess your own development as we walk through this. You can even start uh, addressing and thinking about like what next steps you might want to take, but don't do this. Don't be paralyzed by her and become obsessed with her. Because what you're seeing here is over a lifetime. And she is a woman giving, given as an example of taking the major themes of the wisdom of Proverbs and what some of those major themes look like in a life. And what are the traits of those who love wisdom? Well, in this capstone of the book, there are four. 
that are developed and brought into focus. And the first one is, those who really love wisdom, they pursue excellent character. So let's take a look, chapter 31, verse 10, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. An excellent, speaking of worthy, one that is highly desirable. Speaking of an excellent character, and I want you to know excellent character doesn't happen. It's through daily decisions, settled convictions, having friends, being involved in a body of believers that encourages this kind of virtue, this kind of character. And she is an excellent wife. And she has great worth, far above, like, jewels or the things of this earth. She has eternal value, great worth. She embodies wisdom. She fears God. And notice how else she's described. If you want to see, like, well, what does excellent character look like? Well, just keep reading. Notice how she's described in verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her. She's trustworthy, meaning that she's honest, reliable, consistent. She has a demonstrated stability. She has positive predictability. She is consistent. She's like, Not one of those people like, you just never know what you're going to get every day. No, she's got settled patterns. She is trustworthy. And notice what else. She is a blessing to others. And it says of her husband, he will have no lack of gain, no lack of advantage or benefit. He is completely blessed because she is his wife. You're going to find that. Those who walk in wisdom, who pursue excellent character, I want you to know you're a blessing to a lot of people, starting to those who are closest to you. And furthermore, if you want to see what does excellent character look like, look at verse 12. She's doing good and refraining from evil for a lifetime. See that? She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She does the things that are beneficial to life, that are life-giving, that are good, and she is aware and refrains from and stay away, stays away from that which is evil, which will cause destruction, which will diminish her relationships or compromise her character. She's aware of those things. Those are real temptations she faces on a regular basis, but she stays away from them. She's got what we call character. And you're like, I would like that. How is that kind of character developed? It comes through daily decisions and living out settled convictions. If you want to know, like, well, what are the traits of those who love wisdom? As we see in this woman here, it gets started with pursue excellent character. But let me give you a second. You'll find that in verses 13 through 20. This is a huge theme throughout the book of Proverbs, and that is to prioritize being productive. And as we walk through these verses, verses 13 through 20, I want you to see how productive she is. Now, this isn't just happening all at once, all the time. This is representing various seasons of her life, and that's how it works. I mean, you're at different stages and seasons. Life is going to look different. You're going to have more time or less time in different areas. So I want you to take that into account as we walk through this here. But take a look and, and see her productivity. Verse 13, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. So here she is, and she's, she's making linen. And it's a difficult process. It requires skill, but see how she's looking for wool and flax. She's putting together garments. She's making thread that is needed, yarn that is needed for garments and other uh, things that she's going to be making. 
She works with her hands, and she does so, I don't want you to miss that in verse 13, in delight. There's a sense of, like, this is good and meaningful work. It's not like, oh, I hate work. I hate to do anything. I don't really want to apply myself. To understand that God has given us work, and work is an opportunity for us to glorify God, to be involved in things that are meaningful, she gets that. She has prioritized being productive. Furthermore, look at verse 14. She is like a mer- she's like merchant ships, and she brings her food from afar. So I don't want you to get the idea like she's uh, going to, you know, cross the sea to go get uh, groceries. But what this is doing is this is imagery to point out like she is making sure that her family's cared for. Kind of like a modern-day equivalent is like, hey, listen, I'm going to go to HEB, I'm going to get the groceries, and then I'm going to hit up Aldi's for the things that I missed there. And, you know, and she's going to travel where she needs to be so her family is cared for. And she is like a merchant ship in that respect. And, and notice the productivity of verse 15. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. And here you get the idea that, like, this is a, isn't a woman that's just kind of like laying around and waiting for life to happen. No, she's getting up, and she makes sure that her family is cared for. And notice verse 15, it says, and portions to her maidens. This could be an allocation of food, but this is the word that was actually used to for, like, prescribed tasks. She has maidens, people that are working for her, perhaps, and she is figuring out what needs to be done for her family and whatever she's involved in to thrive. She is demonstrating what we call leadership. She knows what to do. She knows why it's important. She knows how to bring the appropriate resources to bear. She's like, this is what needs to happen, and she's delegating, and she's assigning tasks, and she's getting things done. That's what's happening with this woman here. And notice, look at verse 16. You want to see entrepreneurial spirit? Look at the wisdom of this woman being applied in her life. She considers a field and buys it. And from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She considers a field, meaning... She is engaging her mind, and she knows how to evaluate, how to assess, how to plan. She's thinking these things through. She's not just running on emotion, just spending things frivolously. frivolously. No, she's thinking this all through. And furthermore, she buys it, which tells us that she's actually in control of quite a bit of finances. And don't get this idea that she's just working independently and she's just doing this. No, she's very much doing this in conjunction with her husband, and she's doing it in conjunction with her household. But I will notice what it says about her, that she has great strength. She takes her earnings and she plants a vineyard. Anybody plant a vineyard? Ah, didn't think so. Not well, let me tell you what goes into that so you don't just kind of gloss over like, oh, big deal, plant a vineyard. Like maybe she just throws some seeds out there and vineyard. No, to plant a vineyard would mean that you've got to clear it all, all those stones, that all has to go away in that field. Then you have to plant the vines and then you have to dig a wine press and then you need to have a tower to protect that. You see, she's involved in some pretty meaningful work. She is not what you would call soft. In fact, notice what the text says in verse 17. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. 
This woman is not afraid of hard work. Why? Because those who walk in God's wisdom, in, by virtue of their relationship with the living God himself, they want to be involved in work that is meaningful. They prioritize being productive. And when you look at her, look at verse 18, she senses that her gain is good. So you and I, when we're involved in things that are meaningful and we're giving ourselves to it, yeah, we're tired, but do you, you, you come to a place where you're like, God is doing things. And whatever gain there is, you're grateful for it. There's a sense of well-being that, that God's doing it. And she senses that her gain is good. It's like she senses God's pleasure as she's engaging in meaningful work, wherever that might be, her home, uh, whether in her business, whatever she's doing, whatever season of life with her children, she senses that her gain is good. And it says also in verse 18 that her lamp does not go out at night. So you kind of like, if you're like, remember from verse 15, like she's getting up before it, while it's still dark, and now her lamp doesn't go out at night, you might get the impression that, well, this woman just never sleeps, and that's why she's just so productive, Right? Uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, she's just working 24-7, so she stays up all night to think about what she needs to do the next day, and then she does it, and she repeats it. Just, well, I want you to know that's not exactly how that works. What this is doing is highlighting the fact that this woman is productive. She's efficient, and she prioritizes getting work done. In fact, I'll tell you how it works with God. Like it says in Psalm 127, verse 2, that the Lord gives to his beloved even in their sleep. A wise person is trying to live, as much as possible, a balanced life. But they are prioritizing being productive. Life isn't about just the pursuit of leisure, the pursuit of walking with God and in his wisdom. And she does that. And so like a modern-day parallel for like this woman, maybe, is like managing money, paying bills, balancing the checkbook, doing the FAFSA forms, uh, preparing and doing the taxes, seeing what is needed for their family. I want you to, like, when do we have to do those sort of things? After the kids are in bed, right? When the kids are up and all the chaos and the toys and, you know, and homework and this or that, and like, what are you telling me? Your uniform needs to be washed, like, three hours, you know? Like, I mean, that's life. But when those kids all settle down and they go to bed, then we're actually tackling some of those things because our family has needs and we want to get things done. I want you to know that's what this woman does. She prioritizes being productive. And look at verse 19. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. So a distaff is a spinning staff and a spindle. These are used to make thread and then to twist it in yarn. Anybody have a distaff or spindle at home? Oh, not. Oh, we do have a few. Sweet. Okay. We're talking serious skill if you're going to do this well. And guess what? This woman has these kind of skills. Do you see just all that she brings to the table, her productivity and how she prioritizes doing that. And like, what, what is she thinking? What is it that her mindset that allows her to be productive? I'll tell you something that, are, that I found to be really helpful and encourage you to embrace as well. See your life as your ministry. See your life as your ministry. Whatever God has for you, whatever it might be, whether you're paid for it or not, See your life as your ministry. Bloom where you're planted. You might be in some like really fertile soil, man. It's just like great. Everything you need seems to things to be working. I've got all the resources I need to thrive. 
or you might be in some really rocky soil, and you're like, how could anything even live here? And I'm planted here? Just bloom where you're planted. Live in the fear of the Lord. Trust him. Live in his grace. And see how God is going to provide. That's what this woman is doing. So when you consider your home, your family, uh, your job, if God has you at that, and that's your season, or that, that's what you're involved in, or you're in the classroom, or your ministry in the church, or how you are serving the community, see your life as your ministry, and give yourself to it. Be, be productive, and that's what this woman is doing. She is, by the way, demonstrating the contrast to the sluggard. So if you've read the book of Proverbs, you see, like, wow, God takes this, like, sluggard, lazy business, like, seriously, he, he wants his people engaged, not lazy. And, you know, when it, it's interesting, like the hand of the sluggard, remember, it's, it's referred to several times. He, he puts his hand in the dish, that's what the food is, but he's too lazy to do what? To bring it to his mouth. That's utter laziness. Not this woman. You see her hands? They're at work. They have skills. She's engaged. She's prioritizing being productive. And it's not just for her. She's got a devotion to her family, but also to her community. Take a look at verse 20. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She not only cares deeply for her family, but she has an awareness of the people in her life. So perhaps she knows of a friend going through great difficulty. She might visit or, or even br- bring a meal. Even if she's not great at cooking, she's like, you know, I want to be helpful this way. Maybe she's aware of someone that's in distress or needing a place to be or stay, and maybe she opens up her home. Or perhaps she volunteers on some sort of board, or she's sponsoring a child, or she's uh, showing up at a school and helping a kid that's really struggling learn how to read and have some support. She sees the need, and she looks to see, God, how might you use me in my context? I want you to know what she's doing, and God is showing us. People who love wisdom, they have this trait. They prioritize being productive. They've got excellent character. They prioritize being productive. And here's another great theme of the book of Proverbs, and this woman demonstrates, and that is those who love wisdom— They prepare for the future. And you see this emphasized a lot of different places in the book of Proverbs. They're getting ready for what is to come. And so we see this with her. Look at verse 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet, and she makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. And so... You see that, verse 21? She's, she's not afraid of the snow. See, in Palestine, yeah, it gets really hot there, but guess what? You're going to have some times where it's going to get really cold, and the snow's going to come, and especially on the upper parts, and she knows that's coming. Yes, it's hot in the summer, but she knows that someday that it's going to get cold, and my family is going to need clothing, and I'm going to prepare now so they'll be warm then. That's what, a, that's what wisdom would tell us. We do the same thing, but I want you to know that same idea of preparing well for the future, it's represented in all of life. And that's what she's doing. She's preparing well for the future. She's not caught off guard. And notice, it says for her in verse 21, her, ho- her household are clothed with 
scarlet. She, this was likely wool that had been dyed red, and she's prepared, and she's ready to go. In fact, she not only takes care of her family, she takes care of herself. Did you see that in verse 22? She makes coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Uh, this, is, this is beautiful, expensive clothing, um, and she's not, like, dressing up in, like, gunny sacks. She's using and doing what she can and making the most of her resources, living below her means, but she's going to dress nicely, and she's taking care of herself. And this, this fine linen, uh, to make it purple, they would take the glands of the, the fluid of the glands out of a sea mollusk, and they drain it. It's, it's very expensive, hard to get, and she's like, you know, I think I'm going to use some of that in some of my linen. You see, she's the opposite of a sluggard. She is like we saw in Proverbs chapter 6, like the ant. You remember we're told to go and take some time studying the ants and watch what they're doing. You ever notice, like, you never see ants, like, just chilling out, like, I'm just laying here on your driveway. No, they're always doing stuff, and they're hauling stuff back and forth. What are they doing? Like, what are you guys doing? I'll tell you. Book of Proverbs tells you. They're preparing for the winter. They know the winter's coming, and, like, we're going to be really busy, and we're all working together, and we're going to make it through this so we can show up in your yard next year, okay? That's what they're doing. They're preparing for the winter. And you and I are supposed to go, you know what? That's wisdom right there. You've got to prepare for the future. And that's what she's doing. She's living within her means, but she's preparing for the future. She is like that woman in Proverbs chapter 14, 1, where it says, she is the wise woman who builds her house. You always find that with people who love wisdom. They're preparing for the future. And let me give you a fourth trait that we see highlighted by this woman, this woman who is, excels in wisdom. And that is, people who love wisdom promote the flourishing of their family and their community. Take a look, verses 23 and following. Look at how she promotes flourishing as a way of life, starting with the one who is closest to her, her husband, verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So the gates, that's the center of economic and civic activity. I took where all the important things happened. It was always at the gates of the city. And her husband is there. You see, marriage is to be a one plus one equals three kind of synergy. It is complementing. We are working together. We are absolutely equal, husband and wife, but we're pulling together, working together, complementing one another. We're not cutting each other down. We're certainly not competing with one another. We're working together. And I want you to know, behind every good man, you will find a great woman. And that's what she is. But part of the reason why her husband is flourishing and can be at the gates is because it all got started at home. And I think this woman had a big part in it. I will say this, wives. You can either help make your man or you can break him. But that power does reside with you. And you're like, what would that look like? How, how do I help my husband flourish? Marriage is a giving and a receiving and a trusting, but I'll, I'll tell you what this looks like. Men can be pretty simple. Your husband will thrive when he knows that he has your respect. 
that you have the ability to affirm and encourage him. He's, he's far from perfect. He knows that. You really know that. But the fact that you could still, you're still with him, side by side, affirming, encouraging, and often just a little physical touch is going to go a long ways. Your ability to talk, to encourage, to engage, give insightful comments. I mean, this means so much. I've, you just value these things. I value them in my own marriage. I want you to know the reason that this guy is at the gates is because that kind of integrity, that gets started at home. And this woman understands that. And she's doing everything she can to help her husband flourish. But it's not just her husband. Notice what else. She's, she's seeing flourishing as a way of life and God's wisdom. Look at verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. I mean, she's making uh, beautiful and valuable clothing. These things are needed in the community. She's involved in that. And, and look, at, look at this picture. You want to see flourishing? Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Strength, dignity, honor, courage, valor. These are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Yeah, we all face times where we're just overwhelmed and like, oh, we're not going to make it, and we're giving up. Yes, but I want you to know, she like works through that cycle, but she gets her sights back on God, the rock, the refuge, the constant, the fear of the Lord. He's the awesome one, and somehow God has this, and I'm trusting in him, and when we trust him like that, even in the midst of the storm, that smile returns, and she's got it. She has a confidence in God, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she can smile about tomorrow and the decade to come because she's trusting in God. And this isn't some sort of like prideful self-confidence, some sort of uh, ethereal, just like I'm just like um, dreaming kind of hopefulness. This is rooted in the rock-solid refuge of God himself, the righteous tower. She promotes flourishing with her way of life, but notice also, she promotes flourishing with her words. Look at verse 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Look at that. When she is talking, why she is able to communicate wisdom. Remember what Jesus said? A man speaks, or a person speaks, from that which fills their heart, right? If you're going to speak wisdom, why, you've got to know wisdom, meaning you've got to know some things about God's truth and how that gets integrated in your life. You learn some things, the hard way, the right way, the easy way. You're, you're learning, and you can speak about these things. This woman can talk with wisdom. Why? Because she embodies it. She knows it. She's growing. She's learning. She is applying herself to the study of Scripture, and I don't want you to miss this. Do you see that when she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue? That word kindness is the Hebrew word, and we've talked about this before, chesed. It's the word for loyal love or covenant love. You see, this woman is unlike most people because she is motivated by a covenant love in her relationships, starting with her husband and her children, and the people that she's working with, 
and her friends. It, she's committed to them. She loves them. She wants them to flourish and thrive. She has their best interest in mind, and that's why she communicates with love and kindness. She's promoting flourishing with her words, but also with her works. Take a look at verses 27 and 29. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. You see how she's applying herself? She cares about her family. She sees what those needs are. She's looking well toward, to them. She wants her family to flourish, and she's going to apply herself to that. You see, this woman understands the central place the home has in the kingdom of God. While the husband's role is to be the spiritual leader, she understands that she's got a critical role, kind of like the chief operating officer. She knows what it takes to make her home tick. All the care, the love, the, the leadership that is needed, the decisions, the processing, the, the working together as a team, loving, encouraging, receiving love, being encouraged. I want you to know her home is thriving. People are flourishing, and her works are at the heart of it. Do you see that? You see what it says there in verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. She's organized. She's attentive. She's persistent. And she knows how to engage in hard work. If you're involved in running a household, it's going to take all of those. And then look what it says in verse 27 here. Uh, verse 28. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Look at this woman. In a, in a loving family, you will find the ability of family members to value and verbally express esteem and encouragement to one another. And I'll tell you that if you receive this from your kids, why, there is a sense of just like deep, overwhelming gratitude. It creates a whole other layer of depth in a person's life. When you can be praised for virtue, for wisdom, for godliness, for love in your life. And I recently saw this. Uh, Karina had received several years ago uh, a box from one of our kids. And inside that box were just all these different reasons why she is loved. And it's powerful. And it means a lot to my wife. And she was, she had it there, she had it all organized, and she was looking at it. Uh, recently, we were able to do this for Karina's mom. And we put together, as a family, 75 reasons why we love Linda. And we, we gave it to her. In fact, she has it up in her home. In fact, she's watching right now. She joins us every week via live stream, even though she lives in Sherwood, Oregon. And she, here is this picture of this, of what that looks like, and she just values this. This means so much. When I, when I sent her a text yesterday, I said, hey, you mind if I just use that as I'm working on the message? And she said, I was brought to tears by it. You see, this woman is thriving. You promote flourishing with her works, and I want you to know it's going to make a big difference. Like, look what the text says. Verse 28, her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. You see, many daughters have done nobly. That's the same word for excellence that you found in verse 10. Here it is 
again. And why, why is this woman so highly esteemed? Why is she flourishing? It's because what you find in verses 30 and 31, because the focus of her faith and her identity is God. Not the marketplace, not what's running around on social media, not what the TV says, God. Notice what it says, verse 30. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. See, this woman, she has what's called the reverential awe of God. It's how the book begins, chapter 1, verse 7. Or like we saw in 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fools, on the other hand, why they despise understanding and instruction. They, they don't want it. It's the fear, the reverential awe of God. And that's what this modus operandi is for this woman. She has a divine world view. God is everything to her. Refuge, rock, strength, life, forgiveness, hope, love. And it's in the context of this covenant relationship with God where she has this settled sense of identity. That's where she's able to love and live out wisdom. This is not a woman with a spotless house and children all like in designer clothes. That's not what makes greatness. What makes greatness? The fear of the Lord. That's what makes her so valuable. And I want you to see this woman, she breaks a lot of stereotypes, doesn't she? You don't get the idea that she feels like she's just kind of caged between four walls, do you? No, this woman is thriving. How is that? Because she is living in the wisdom and the fear of God. And it permeates every aspect of her life. And so you husbands out there and you're like, Whoa, I think I just found my memory verses for this year. I think I'm going to really give myself to this passage. Or you're going to go hunting around and see if you can't find a plaque in one of those stores that have these verses on it, and you're going to nail it next to your TV, right? Before you do that, I want you to focus on yourself. You see, excellent wives are loved by excellent husbands. And here's how a husband helps his wife thrive as a woman of wisdom. In fact, this passage gives us some great hints. Let me highlight a few of them. One, you want to value your wife as a treasure and help her flourish. Do you see that in verses 10 and 11? She needs to know that she has great worth to you and that you trust her. You see that in verse 11? Years ago, I, I encountered a guy who basically was just like monitoring his wife and had her in a cage. And she came to a place where she completely just shut down. I want you to know that man was sinning against his wife. Far from thriving, she, she ended up not even hardly surviving. She needs to know that she is valued, that you treasure her, and you want her to flourish. You also want to raise your children to love, respect, and appreciate her. You see those children? They're rising up and blessing her. You want to help your kids understand what a great treasure your, your wife is, their mom is. And then third, you want to praise and affirm her with your words for who she is, her admirable qualities, see the, the things that she's trying to seek to live out. You want to help her flourish. That's what you want to do. And I'll tell you, one of my shortcomings is that I've often just taken my wife for granted. Like, she does all these amazing things. She's the one that allows me to do all these different things and ministry things that I'm involved in. 
She's made it happen. And it's easy for us just to take these things for granted. What we want to do is we want to learn how to offer praise and recognition. And when we do, I want you to know that like, like water to a flower, like she'll start to blossom. For me, I know that I'm loving my wife well when Karina is thriving. And you will as well. Remember, your words can also make her or break her. So help her flourish and thrive. And for all of us men and women who've missed the mark, like we all have, you read a passage like this and you're like, oh my, I want you to know, we who have missed the mark, guess what? The woman of excellence points us to the source of wisdom. The source of wisdom is God himself to fear the Lord. Like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 through 24, it says, For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Greeks and Jews, listen to this, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. We need a redeemer. We need forgiveness. We need hope. We need wisdom. I want you to know it's all found in Christ. In fact, he gives us the power to live in, to rest in, to seek out his wisdom. Wisdom is prized and pursued by knowing the all-sufficiency of Christ. And we want to know him, and he covers it all. Guess what? When we have that kind of reverential awe for Jesus, we move forward in wisdom. And so, you know, in the all-sufficiency of Jesus, guess what? Men and women, we're more than enough because Christ is the embodiment of wisdom. And our way of life, is to display the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I just pray right now that if there's someone here today who's never truly trusted you, your son Jesus, as Savior and Lord, they would pray with me now and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. And today I place my faith in Jesus, the embodiment of wisdom, the Savior of the world. And Lord, for all of us who do know you, God, help us to flourish in your wisdom. Thank you for the cleansing and the healing and the hope for all the many times that we've missed the mark. God, will you have your work and your way in us. May we live in your will. May your wisdom flourish in our lives, in our church, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.